Hey, good morning. Happy Easter. So I know that we have done our cheer already with the confetti and everything, but can we roll it back old school style? Can we try it? Hey, he is risen. Yeah, so I still like ours better. That was pretty good, but I like our Easter cheer better. Thank you for being here. My name is Calvin. I'm the lead pastor here. And do me a favor, if you brought a Bible, turn it to Colossians 1. We're gonna be in Colossians 1 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. We have all of the scripture we're gonna be looking at right on the screen this morning. So you can just look at the screen and you'll be able to follow along where we are. And a church, today is the day that we are just a small drop in an ocean of millions and millions of people gathering around the world to celebrate the reality that Jesus actually and historically rose from the dead, defeating sin and death and proving once and for all that he truly is the son of God. And that through him, we have life and forgiveness of sin. And you need to hear me. The resurrection of Jesus, it is the thing that all of Christianity hinges on. Jesus is either alive or he isn't. And if he isn't alive, Christianity is a false religion. We have been lied to. We have been duped. It hinges all of Christianity on whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead. Because if he did, that means he is ruling and reigning in heaven today and all of reality begins and ends with Jesus Christ. He is either alive or he's still in the ground. And I think there's two kinds of people here today. I know um, many of you, uh, this might be your first time here or you don't come here often. I think there's two groups of people. I think some of you are here and you believe with your whole heart that Jesus is the son of God and he is your savior and you believe that he is alive. And um, if that's you, um, I'm really praying that today is a day full of encouragement and celebration and that you might actually get some tools today to help you speak about your faith with others. Um, but there's another group of people here, and I would say that maybe you are on the fence and you're like, I'm not sure if this Christianity thing is for me or if it's real or if I believe in Jesus. Maybe uh, you're here because someone invited you. Maybe you're here because your family always grew up going to Easter and Christmas. Maybe you're here because you're like, man, I just need to check in with God a couple times a year. It alleviates some guilt. But you're here and you're like, man, I'm not sure I believe in this resurrection or Jesus thing. And if that's you, I'm so thankful you're here. And what I'm going to do in the next 25 minutes or so, I'm going to give you the best argument that I have for the reality that Jesus is actually alive. I'm going to do everything I can to make an argument that you're going to have to wrestle with. And um, so here's the thing. Previous Easter's, I've preached on proofs of the resurrection. You can throw up the next slide. And there's kind of three classical proofs of the resurrection. And um, these are are well-documented. I preach entire messages on these. But the first proof of the resurrection is that the tomb was empty. And both Christian sources from the time and secular sources, everyone agrees that after Jesus was laid in the tomb, three days later, his body was gone. And even though Pilate set Roman guards to protect the body and make sure no one could break in, the body disappeared. Now, some who are skeptical are like, well, maybe uh, his disciples stole the body. 
All right, the problem with that is, is no one ever confessed to doing it. The body was never found. It is the greatest secret kept in world history because it never came to light if that happened. And another one, which is actually even a little bit more funny to me, they're like, well, maybe Jesus wasn't actually dead. Maybe after a few days, he got up and is like, I'm better now. And the thing about that, the thing that makes that crazy is the Romans were professionals at torture and killing people. He was crucified, he was dead, everyone saw it and everyone knew it, but the body is gone. So if you're skeptical, you've got to answer the question, what happened to Jesus? The next evidence is the hundreds and hundreds of witnesses that claimed that they saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. And the interesting thing is, is there was no money to be gained by claiming you saw Jesus alive. There was no political capital to be gained. In fact, if you were a Christian, that meant persecution, that that meant getting kicked out of your homes or out of your places of work. It even meant being killed. And there yet are hundreds and hundreds of people who were fed to lions and crucified themselves because they wouldn't deny the fact that they physically saw Jesus alive and you couldn't convince them otherwise. What do you do with the hundreds of eyewitnesses? And then a third one, which is so powerful. 2,000 years ago, a movement began called Christianity, and it has absolutely fundamentally changed the world. And there are millions and billions of people, some in this room today, many in this room today, that would say, I have encountered the living Jesus Christ through his spirit, and he has changed my life. Amen? How do you account for it? And um, all of these are really good proofs. And what I'm trying to say is, is if you're struggling to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead, you've got some tough questions that you've got to deal with. But these aren't the arguments I want to focus on today. I want to give you an argument that I believe is even better than these. It's the greatest argument for the resurrection that I can think of. And it's going to prove, I believe, that Jesus is alive. Are you ready to hear what it is? All right, here's what it is. The greatest argument for the resurrection, it's that our hearts are designed to find their home in Jesus. All right, I'm going to try to convince you that you were created and designed your heart to find its ultimate satisfaction and home in Jesus. Every single one of us in here, no matter what we look like, no matter where we come from, no matter what our last week was like, we have been designed to find our home in Jesus. And in Colossians 1, Paul is writing to a church and he talks just about how awesome Jesus is in Colossians 1, 15 through 23. Follow along as I read. This is what he says. He says that he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. That word preeminent, it means first place that in everything he might be first. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. All right, so here's what Paul is saying. First, he starts talking about Jesus, and he says that he created everything, that the universe was spoken into existence by Jesus Christ, that everything was created to him and for him, that he holds all things together, and in everything he might be first. And then it says that even though we have sinned and we reject God and we live for ourselves, he is the one who came to earth and reconciled us to God, that he lived the perfect life, that he died a sacrificial death to pay for our sins, and he has redeemed all of the universe back to himself. It's all about Jesus. So some of you are like, all right, Cal, that's cool, but what does this have to do about my heart finding its home in Jesus. Well, let's get into it. And there's two questions I need you to ask yourself right now. Two questions we need to wrestle with. Here's the first one. What do you want? What are you living for? What are you striving for? What is the thing that keeps you up at night? And what is the thing that gets you up in the morning? What do you want most out of your life? Like if I had this thing, I would be content. And then we've got to do the work to ask the next question. Why do I want that thing? Right? You can't just settle at the what. You've got to get to the motivation. Why am I seeking after this thing? Uh, It's interesting. I was talking to a couple in our church this past week and we were talking about Easter and we were, you know, in my mind, I'm getting ready for this message. And I asked them, I said, think back to when you were in college. It was a husband and wife together. And I'm like, when you were in college, what did you want most? If you could say, this is the thing that I was striving for. This is the thing that I was living for. What would that thing be? And the wife thought for a minute and she's like, I think I would have said I wanted to get married and I wanted to have a family. That that's what I was after in college. That's what I thought would fulfill me. That's what I wanted most. And the husband was like, I know that I wanted a good job and I wanted to have a good career and I wanted to be financially successful. All right, then I asked them the why. Why did you want those things? And that took a little bit more time for them to answer because it's harder to kind of get to your heart motivation. And after a couple seconds of thinking, the wife was like, I wanted to get married and have a family for a couple of reasons. First, that's kind of what everyone in, in my uh, roommates and sweet mates, that's kind of what was happening all around me. And I didn't want to get left behind and I wanted to, to be accepted by them. And, and I just wanted those close relationships that I could have in my life. I didn't want to be lonely. And the husband was like, man, I think I wanted to make a lot of money and be successful because I wanted the financial security that I knew that I could provide a life for me and my family and that we would be secure. Okay, here's what I'm getting at. Here's what's so amazing about Jesus. That couple had the what? Let's get married young and have a family. And the wife's why, she wanted to be accepted And she wanted to be deeply known and loved. Guess what Jesus provides for her? Jesus says, you are accepted. 
that you are forgiven, that you are clean, that I know you and I love you. You cannot be more deeply known and loved than by the one who formed you in your mother's womb, who created you, who spoke your existence into being. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you and I will be with you and you are into my family, you're accepted. Jesus provides the why for her. And for the husband, the husband wanted security. Well, listen, Jesus offers us a security that's way greater than financial security. He offers us eternal security. That we will be reunited with Jesus forever. That our future is in heaven, in a place that is perfect without the death, sin, and brokenness we live in now. It's a way greater security. Okay, here's the point I am making today. Whatever your what is, your why will be found in Jesus Christ. You know why that is? Because we were designed for it. We were made to know, love, and worship our creator because he's first place. He is the why behind the what you're longing for most. Well, let's keep playing this out. I've been doing a bit of research this week, just kind of looking at what do people want most in life? And I've been using mostly secular sources and there's lists all over the place. Like if you Google, what are people living for? You're gonna get thousands of articles of people with their ideas. And so what I did is I looked at a bunch of them and I kind of compiled the top five. These were the top five things that were on all of the lists when it's like, here's what people are living for. Here's what they are. People are looking for the what is deep and meaningful relationships and success and wealth. Those are kind of covered in that first couple we talked about. A health is a big one. Um, purpose or fulfillment is a big one. And then having some sense of peace or hope. So these are the what's that, that most people, we are looking for these things in life. So let's go to the other side of that. Let's look at the why's, right? We've done the first two, to be known and loved and security and validation that you're worth something that you count. The why for health is I wanna live a long and full life. Um, guess what Jesus offers us? He offers us eternal life. He says that, listen, that when we leave this earth, we will be united with God for eternity in a life that will be free of the physical limitations of illness and death and sickness and old age and all of the other things that limit us. That the longest life, the fullest life is found in Jesus. You know, Jesus told his disciples, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Right, so what Jesus is saying is you can eat all of the rabbit food you want and you still will not live the most full life that you will find in Jesus. Amen, someone said amen. Someone's really pumped about that. Enjoy your Easter burger with a fried egg on top or whatever you wanna do. Right, purpose and fulfillment. I wanna be connected to something greater than myself. Guess what? In Jesus, we are part of a movement that has changed the entire world. We're part of the family of God. We're part of a kingdom that is never ending. And this kingdom of God is advancing even today. That we are in a family that can't be taken away from us. That we have brothers and sisters in Christ who even though we look very, very different from and we speak different languages and our lives could not be more different, we are united in Christ. You wanna be part of something that's greater than just you. Find your why in Jesus. Or it's peace or hope. I just want the assurance that things will be okay. Well, church, we know 
that Jesus, when he rose from the dead and he ascended back into heaven, that's not the last time he's going to interact with this world. But that Jesus will return and he is coming back, not as a sacrificial lamb, but as a roaring lion, king of the universe who will defeat sin and death once and for all. And he will make all of creation new and he will right every wrong. And he will wipe away every tear. There will be no mourning. There'll be no more pain. There will be no more death. Things will not just be okay in the future. They will be made new. Find your why in Jesus. I am convinced that whatever you desire most, the why is in Jesus. But see, we have a problem. And here's our problem. We settle for chasing the what rather than embracing Jesus, don't we? We look for satisfaction in the things of God rather than God himself. We want the kingdom of God without the king. And in one of the most heartbreaking verses in all of scripture in Romans 1, Paul talks about the nature of sin and how we trade God for something lesser than him. In Romans 1.25, it says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. All right, here's what Paul is saying, and this is true in our hearts today. Rather than acknowledging that the thing that we need and are longing for most is Jesus, we create idols out of the things, out of the what's that we think will provide us what our heart is ultimately longing for. So rather than finding our why in Jesus and saying, no one can know me better and love me better than Jesus, we think, man, the thing that my heart needs most is it needs that spouse or it needs that group of friends. And until I'm perfectly loved by them, which by the way, they're not capable to perfectly love because we're all still wrestle with sin and none of us are perfect. But it's like until they perfectly love me or I'm perfectly accepted by them, my heart will never find its rest. And we end up destroying the very relationships we value most because we're setting unrealistic expectations because our hearts weren't designed for other people. They were designed for Jesus. Right? We think, man, that need for security or validation for people to say I'm worthwhile, it's going to be that job. It's going to be that title. It's going to be that income bracket. Listen, no amount of money in the world can satisfy the longings of your eternal soul. And it cannot give you the security that Jesus will. But we run after it. We chase it. We neglect so many other things in pursuit of the thing that cannot satisfy Right, maybe you're hearing like, man, the thing that my soul needs, it's, it's rest, that I'm just weary and I'm tired and I'm wiped out. So guess what we think? I just gotta get to that next vacation, right? A lot of you come into church today and you all are looking very tan, right? Because you were all on spring break somewhere and uh, you got to go on vacation. I did not, so I'm not happy with you right now, but I'm choosing to love you. Um, Here's what I can promise though, if you were to be honest with me, none of you are coming back from vacation being like, that vacation was so amazing, I'm never gonna need to go on vacation again. My heart is fully rested up, it's never gonna get tired again, that vacation solved it. No, 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 what happens is, is in like six months from now, you're like, oh, I need a vacation, right? We go from exhausted to kind of filled the tank back up to exhausted again. Jesus says, those who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you a rest for your soul. Your soul's rest is found in relationship with Jesus. He is your why. And listen, I don't have time to dig into this more, but I could make a huge argument that the reason we live with so much anxiety 
is because we're putting our hope in the what, and we're worried that that thing will be taken away from us or that we'll never achieve it. And then the reason we struggle with so much depression is because when we get that what, we realize it doesn't have the power to satisfy the eternal longings of our soul. And it's like, oh man, I have this thing and it's still not making me better. Now what am I going to do? But so much of the anxiety and depression that we live in practically, it's because we're choosing not to find our why in Jesus and we're running to the creature, the created thing, rather than the one who knows us and made us. All right, so here's the invitation of Easter. It's the invitation to embrace the one who will satisfy your soul. You know, it's interesting, so much of Jesus' teachings, if you were to read the Gospels, he's making this argument that he is the one who will truly satisfy. He says things like this, that I am the living water and I am the bread of life. And he says, if you believe in me, you'll never be hungry again and you'll never thirst again, that I will give you a satisfaction for your souls that will never run dry. He says, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly, that those who are weary, I will give you rest. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And in Jesus's most famous sermon, he's telling the crowd not to put their hope in earthly things and not to be anxious. And here's what he tells them. He says, therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Do you see what he says? He's like, listen, don't worry about the what's. He goes, your heavenly father knows what you need and he will provide it. But if you seek me first, if you live for me, if you live to honor me, if you seek my kingdom, everything your heart is desiring and longing for will find its answer in me and God will provide every need that you have. He says, I'm not going to let you down. Stop seeking after the wrong things. Seek me, honor me, follow me and I will provide you with the things your heart is longing for. Listen, if you're here today and you're on the fence, you might be thinking, wow, like they shoot off confetti and there's a lot of people raising their hands and these people seem really excited uh, about this story about Jesus. Can I make something very clear to you? We're not doing this to create hype. We're not trying to earn anything or impress anyone. Here's what you're seeing. You're surrounded by a group of people who are really, really excited because we have found our why in Jesus. Amen, church? Amen. That's what this is. And by the way, we want you to know the same joy that we have. And so what I wanna do right now, um, I wanna talk about what it means to enter a relationship with Jesus. And so if you would throw up the next slide, entering a relationship with Jesus, if you're on the fence, it comes down to four things. The first thing you need to do is you need to simply acknowledge the fact that our souls are longing for the things that only God can provide. And maybe you're hearing like, man, I'm tired of running after things that aren't satisfying. And maybe when you hear me talk about this eternal longing, you're like, okay, I resonate with that. I, I understand what you're talking about. We need to acknowledge that we were created for God and he is the only one who will satisfy. We need to confess that we often settle to find our hope in lesser things. And we need to settle or we need to confess for the reality that we have sinned. Do you know what that means, sin? 
very, very simply, it means rather than worshiping God and giving him the glory that he deserves, we live for ourselves. And we live for our glory and we live for what we want and we think that we will find our satisfaction on our terms, our way. All of us are guilty of that. The third thing you need to do is simply believe that Jesus was the son of God, that he came to earth, that he lived a perfect life and died a death paying for the penalty for our sins. That even though that the wages of sin is death, that we don't have to be afraid of separation from God anymore because Jesus paid our bill. That's why Jesus went to the cross. But the fact that he rose again means that we have life with him. And then the last thing you need to do is you just need to make a turn to Jesus. The biblical word for this is repentance. And that's saying, hey, I'm not chasing these things anymore, but Jesus, I want to live a life. And it's not gonna be perfect. It might be slow moving at times. There'll be peaks and valleys, but I wanna live a life that greater honors you and loves you and lives in the reality that all of creation is for you. You know, it's funny, I was talking with one of my best friends a couple months ago, and um, he was saved probably five or six years ago. And he goes, Cal, the, the crazy thing about following Jesus, he goes, I see that my desires have changed. And it's like, man, I used to be all about my image. I used to be all about like my leadership and gaining a following. I used to be all about kind of getting to a financial place of success. And it's like, now that I love the Lord and now that I've met Jesus, it's like my desires are like, man, I wanna glorify Christ and my family has been healed and my desires are different and the things that motivate me are so changed. And the reason is, is because this man has stopped searching for hope and answers in the what, but he's found his why. And look at me, for everyone in here, that can be your story and that can start today. So here's what I wanna do. If you're here right now and you haven't embraced Jesus as the why behind the what you're living for, what I would love to do is, is I would love to pray with you and for you and ask you just to silently as I pray, repeat after me if you want to enter into relationship with Jesus right now. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes and please just follow along with me quietly in your mind and this can happen for you in this moment. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I believe that you are real. I believe that you love me and I believe that you sent Jesus, your son, to die for my sin and that he rose again and is alive. I believe that all of the universe is for you, that you are the answer to the thing my heart desires most. Forgive me for living for myself. Forgive me for rejecting you. And God, I am putting my trust in you and I want so badly to be a part of your family. And I believe that you have done that for me in Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're not done. Um, we actually get to do something really cool right now, which is a really, really good opportunity for all of us to practice this idea of turning to Jesus and allowing him to be Lord of our life. So please don't put anything away right now. Please hang in with me. This is really, really important. Do you know that when you read the Bible, one of the things that Jesus does when he uh, tells his disciples to go and continue this message of Jesus, he says, preach the good news. And then he says, have people get baptized. 
And, and what he's saying is, is that after people receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the next step, the first step of obedience that we take is baptism. And so we're gonna celebrate baptism as a church right now. And I'm about to call anyone in here who has been a follower of Christ, maybe for a long time, or maybe you just prayed that prayer right now. If you haven't been baptized since giving your life to Christ, I'm going to boldly ask that you step forward and come get baptized this morning. And what baptism is, there's nothing magical that happens. It doesn't save you. It's what saved people do. And baptism is two things. First of all, it's publicly proclaiming that I believe in Jesus and that I love him and that I believe he died for my sins. The second thing baptism is, is it's us identifying with Jesus. When you go under the water, you're saying, just like Jesus died for me, I am dead to my sin. And then when you come out, just like Jesus rose again, that we celebrate today, we're saying, I have a new life that lives for God. What an amazing thing to do on Easter, Resurrection Sunday, rather than to celebrate what Jesus has done for you through baptism. All right, now, here's what I have to do now, and I've gotta do this every time. I've gotta break down some walls I can see y'all are already building up in your mind. Some of you are like, um, I don't know if I should come forward and get baptized because I've been baptized as a, a baby. I came from a church tradition where we got baptized as an infant. I know that happens in the Christian Reformed Church. I know um, if you grew up in a Catholic family, that probably happened. Here's what I would say about infant baptism. We do something a little different. It's called baby dedications, but it's the same heart. And, and it's amazing. What your infant baptism was, it was your family presenting you to the church, being like, we want you to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. What a blessing that is to have a family that loved you and wanted you to know your creator. But can we agree that your infant baptism was a decision that your parents made for you? Like I've never met a six week old baby that's like, hey, I'm walking the aisle right now. I've given my life to Jesus. It doesn't happen. Your parents made that call for you. What believer's baptism is, is what we see in scripture. It's you saying what they prayed for came to fruition and I love Jesus and I believe in him and I'm doing this for myself, declaring my allegiance to Christ. And I actually think it's a great way to honor your parents' hopes and prayers for you. So don't let that be a barrier. Here's another wall you're building. Um, I'm not ready. I didn't know we were doing this. I wasn't planning on it. Well, listen, we came completely prepared. We're gonna have people that meet you. We're gonna have people that pray with you. We've got a bag of clothes for you to change into, and then we will keep your clothes dry so you can change back into them when you're done. We have all of the products that are gonna make you look and feel as beautiful when you leave this place as when you came in, I promise, right? Grandma's lunch will not be ruined, all right? You just need to have the boldness and willingness to say, I'm going to honor the Lord and follow what he clearly calls me to do. All right, here's the third wall. You're like, man, I wish my family was here. I wish my folks were here. Or I wish my friends were here to celebrate with me. And that's a real valid wall that you might build. But see, here's this amazing thing. Our church has this newfangled thing called the internet that we're a part of. And we record all of these services and we're going to give you a copy and you can find it on our website and they can all see it and they can celebrate with you. Listen, if you're waiting for the absolute perfect moment when everyone's there that you want, you'll probably never do it. But it's not about your friends. It's not even about how you feel or if you're nervous or not. This is about saying, hey, because my why is found in Jesus and he is in first place, I'm gonna be faithful and honor. So here's what I'm going to say is boldly and as clearly as I can. If you're here 
whether you prayed that prayer just a couple minutes ago or you've known Jesus your whole life and you have not been baptized as a believer, a decision that you've made, you have no good reason not to come forward and get baptized. And if you have the boldness to obey, you're gonna be surrounded by people who are cheering you on and, are, and love you and are so pumped for what God is doing in your life. Every year we have people that said, I wish I would have done it. I should have done it. I regret not doing it. Don't be that person this year. Let's make that step of obedience. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to come back on. And then if you wanna come get baptized, I'm gonna call you to come forward and you're gonna walk right over there to my mom. Isn't she so pretty? That's my mom. And uh, she will show you exactly where to go. And we've got a whole team that will walk you through every step of the process. It's going to be an awesome thing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I am uh, so thankful for what this day represents. But it's not just a representation, it's real. That you are alive, that you're here, that you've saved, that you've redeemed, and you are continuing to do that again and again and again. And God, I know that there are decisions that are being made for you right now and praise you for that. And God, I know that there are people right now who their hearts are beating because they're being confronted with a bold step of obedience through baptism. God, would you just tear down any wall? Would honoring you, would living for you, would being bold in our witness be a greater strength than any lie that the enemy might try to tell us or any fear that we have? And God, I'm just so excited and thankful to be able to celebrate in the stories of how you are changing and transforming lives. We love you. It's all because of you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.